You're listening to the Sustainable Angler Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Crawford. In this episode, I interview Belize fly owner, Will Fleck, and we talk about Will sailing around the world in the South Pacific and catching the travel bug. We also talk about some environmental threats to our fisheries, such as climate change, plastic pollution, and gill nets in Belize. We also share some success stories about how Belize has banned single-use plastics, um, how they have protected bonefish, tarpon, and permit as a catch-and-release species only, and even some of the cool sustainable business practices that Will has implemented at his lodge and fly shop. Hope you enjoy. This episode of the Sustainable Angler Podcast is brought to you by Emerger Strategies, a sustainable business consultancy whose mission is to solve the climate crisis by helping your business go zero waste and carbon neutral. Emerger Strategies has also recently launched the Fly Fishing Climate Alliance, whose members have pledged to go carbon neutral by 2030. To learn more, visit Emerger strategies.com. Will, I know you're an an avid angler and uh, split your time between Canada and and, and Belize, but um, Mm -hmm. that is... I, like I know who you are, but I don't know anything about you. So, uh, um, right, right, right. So, um, I thought that I would just kick it off with, you know, some, tell, tell us about yourself. Where are you from? Um, where, 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 where you live? So, uh, currently been in, uh, Belize for the better part of my adult life. Um, we run the, uh, Trace Moscato's fly shop. Uh, as an outfitting service retail store down here in Belize. We have uh, our main location is uh, in San Pedro in the north, and we have a new uh, permit fly shop uh, down in Hopkins down here where um, our lodge is, the Belize Permit Club. But uh, like you said earlier, you know, I've split my time between uh, where I grew up in Canada and Belize for, for a long time now. And uh, you know, I grew up, my father was stationed on uh, Vancouver Island, British Columbia. So as far west as you can go, uh, he was a Mountie, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, um, canine SWAT guy. So, uh, you know, just never, never really went anywhere as a kid, you know, on vacations or anything like that. We were always just camping and hiking and doing all that kind of thing. So yeah, just a great place to grow up. So West coast of Canada, um, and, you know, as I graduated high school and got into my 20s, just uh, basically, you know, got the travel bug a lot, um, started venturing way far away from home and uh, eventually found my way to uh, Belize on a bone fishing trip. And uh, long story short, just never really went back home. Nice. So that's, kind of, that's kind of how it uh, how I got to where I am right now. Um, and in between all that, just a lot of hard work and heartache and <laughs> you know how it is. <laughs> Life happened in between. Uh, exactly. Um, exactly. so when you were, when you were 
when you caught the travel bug, which I've caught the travel bug too. Um, and when it gets you, it's like, it's like a thirst you can't quench. Um, were you traveling to fish or were you traveling to just to see the world or was there fly fishing involved uh, yeah. with that? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was traveling, um, just to see different things, you know, yeah. I, you know, as, as a kid, you know, you, you get on your BMX bike and you're like, I'm going to go to this other river. Um, I'm going to go skimboard this other beach. That's eight more miles down the road. And I think that's kind of, you know, you're You just, if you got that bug, you got that bug and it, it's never, you can never just, like you said, you can't quench it. It's just like, you want to go farther for longer. Um, you know, make your parents angry cause they can't find you. <laughs> uh, and it just, you know, whether it was as, as a kid, like I said, whether I was, you know, going fishing, going hiking, canoeing, skimboarding, sailing, surfing. Um, my, you know, where we lived was just, I, I, I wouldn't have changed it for the world. You know, it was just it grew up where all these rivers went into the ocean, into this massive estuary. And it was just like, as a young boy, it was just unbelievable back in, you know, the eighties and nineties. Um, God, it sounds so long ago now. So old. Um, <laughs> just it was just an unbelievable place to grow up as a as a as a young boy, and I think that defined me. As, you know, as as you know, as I got older, it uh, just defined me as a young man, and and you know, turned in, turned me into who I am now. And you know, it's just you know, you just want to go farther and further and it's just i've always had that and it's just turned that you know from the guiding into the traveling into hosted trips into doing stuff for myself um i think i'm at like 60 countries now which but it's a lot (laughs) yeah that's that's a crazy amount (laughs) i mean yeah (laughs) um that's that's so cool and so when you when you got to belize Mm -hmm. um what was what was it about Belize that you were like, I, I, I want to, I guess, grow some, some roots here. So, um, before I came to Belize, I was, I was doing this, uh, big sailing trip and, uh, was going around the world crewing on boats. And, uh, I really, really fell in love with the South Pacific. And that was yeah. kind of, I just knew that, one day I wanted to live in a place like that, like palm trees. And I just, it just had an effect on me. Um, you know, the surfing, you know, the, the snorkeling, the, the fit, it just, it just, it changed me, absolutely changed me. And, um, I found myself in, in Belize after that, um, on a bone fishing trip with, uh, a buddy of mine and my girlfriend at the time. And I just, Belize was just this small little country that I really didn't know anything about. And honestly, I didn't do any kind of research. I knew where it was. I knew that it had, uh, you know, bonefish and, you know, I did very little research before I went. Um, my buddy that I went with at the time had been there the year before on his uh, honeymoon. And, uh, I just, it just was this, you know, we went to, uh, we went to San Pedro and that was my first, uh, you know, foray into Belize was just this small little quaint fishing village, um, 20 years ago. Um, I mean, it had sand streets, these little wooden buildings. Um, and just the people were just so nice. They spoke English. 
it was just, you know, I, I just knew on the second day that I was going to live there. Yeah. I mean, it was, just, it was a no brainer for me. I was just thought thinking about how can I come back? How, what can I do? Blah, blah, blah. And, uh, it just, you know, it just reminded me of the South Pacific. It just, it was just small village and it was just, it, the people were just great. I fell in love with the people, the color of the water, the fishing, obviously. And, uh, yeah, just became enamored with it. And, and, you know, the rest is history. I mean, it just, I was just trying to figure out how I could come back down and, um, you know, and it eventually just, it turned into me guiding back home, um, in the summers and fall and spending winters in Belize. And that's kind of how, kind of how it got started and it's turned into what it is now. Wow. So that's the, well, that's sort of the, the dream, you know, <laughs> is being yeah. able, especially if you're able to get in, into the cool mountains and um, yeah, I mean, if you're, split if, your time. If, if you don't, if you're really into the lifestyle and you're, you don't really care about monetary advance or, or, you know, like you can make a living doing this. Um, you're not going to be wealthy. You're, you know, but I think you're going to be rich in the soul, which yeah. is all, all I've ever wanted is just to, you know, live a comfortable life, give back to the community, um, you know, give back to, you know, issues that I believe in. And, you know, I, I think that wherever you are, I think you, it, as long as you're a good human being and you treat everybody as if you're your neighbor, I mean, just, I think good things happen to you and good things happen around you. And that's all I've ever tried to do here is, uh, you know, just be a, a, a great member of the community. And, uh, you know, Belize, I've, I, Belize has treated me um, just very well over the last two decades. And the people here uh, um, have treated me like family. Um, and I, I treat everybody around me. That's in part, that's part of my group here, like family. I mean, we're just, you know, all my employees, I, you know, when I, when I hire someone, I'm, I'm always just like, Hey, listen, you know, you, this, we're a family here. This, this is how it is. This is how I run my business. Um, if you have a problem, then I have a problem. Then we have a problem as a whole, you know, that's, that's has been kind of my business model here is just like, you know, when you come work for me, when you come work for me, it's just, uh, you know, we're a big, happy family. Um, <clears throat> and we just, we, we support each other. And, uh, that's one of the things I love about this country. That's awesome. Um, so quick sort of tidbit, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. so I think we probably both have an obsession with the South Pacific sounds like, oh, it's, um, yeah. I, I had, I had, <laughs> I was not on a sale, but that your, your sounds like a real adventure. Um, but I had the opportunity, like before we decided to have children, my wife and I mm -hmm. were like, like, what would be like your bucket list trip? Mine was the South Pacific. Yeah. And so like it's we did it. And, and then the reason that we did it and the reason that I'm obsessed with it, or at least it, it, have in my mind is because I found this, vintage travel poster and I still have it on my wall that was like air Tahiti. Yeah. And it was just totally romantic and just, just exotic and tropical. And I was just like, I, one day I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there one day. And, 
and we did it. And we, we went out there we went to, uh, Morea and then an atoll called Rangaroa. Yeah. And it, it was, so I was, I was right there in French Polynesia, um, where you were, um, did you make it to Wahine? I did not. So yeah, that's, uh, all those like, uh, Reatea, Taha, um, you know, they're, uh, right in the same Marea chain there. Um, you know, Cook's Lookout, Captain Cook, all that stuff. But Wahine Wahine was this really, really small island that had that just like Island of Dr. Moreau kind of feel to it. They had like this small post office. I remember the phone system. They still plugged the cables in the wall in this little wooden plywood shack. Um, I have some of my greatest photos that I've ever taken on the old black and white camera um, of that island that, uh, are just in my, my scrapbook back at my mom's place back in Canada that are just, I mean, every time I go home, I look at them there, uh, that place, that, 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 that is one Island that I would really love to go back to. And I mean, I've always wanted to sail again. And I, I, I always told myself when I was 40, I'd do it again. And I'm, I'm about five years off now. So I'm a little late, but I would love to, I would love to take, take a boat around the world again. And maybe I'll do that when my daughter gets a little bit older. Now, did you actually circumnavigate? in a sailboat uh yeah yeah so um didn't 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 uh mileage wise yes um wow. but uh the 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 caribbean no okay no so um yeah my i think i did i got to look at my logbook but it was 20 20 plus thousand it was a lot whoa <laughs> that's crazy yeah. that's awesome man Love that. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was, it was amazing. The South Pacific just blew my mind. I mean, it was unbelievable. Think yeah. about it. Every- <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I can't shake it. I'm, 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 especially now, uh, being, being quarantined. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've been going back and, and, and looking at photos and, and, and taking mental vacations. So, um, yeah. So, so are you, are you in Belize right now? Is that where you're, you're yeah. calling from? Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're down, uh, I'm quarantined at the, uh, the permit lodge, the Belize permit club right now. We're, okay. uh, I think I forget. I mean, day, day 25, 26, 27. I mean, I've lost count We're we've been a month in right now. Um, yeah. I think our, our, our stay at home, uh, state of emergency, I think ends on the 4th of May, I think. Uh, so we'll see what, we'll see what happens. I mean, this whole thing, I don't think, I don't think international travel is going to be a huge, uh, priority for everybody once this thing is over. So unfortunately, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I would agree. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it, th- these are crazy times that we're living in, but, um, Absolutely. but you know, it, it allows us to, uh, you know, refocus and, and, uh, you know, get some stuff done that we haven't been able to get done because we've been so busy yep. and uh, just focus on things that are important. So that's, uh, that's kind of how I'm looking at it right now. It's staying positive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do the same, you know, we're, we're, my wife and I, um, I know, well, we were talking earlier, our daughters are about the same age and, mm-hmm. um, we're just focusing on like how unique and rare is it in this day and age to be able to get to spend this much time with, with your daughter at this, at this stage of their life. And, um, so we're just really feeling, uh, fortunate and blessed about that. 
yeah, I mean, usually I'm on the water, you know, 200 plus days a year. And, you know, like I leave at four o'clock in the morning and I get back at four o'clock in the afternoon. So, you know, if I'm lucky, I might get to see her a couple hours in the evening and that's it. You know, it's just like, that's, that's the, just the, just the job right now. Um, so yeah, being able to, to spend all that time with her right now, especially at this age where you know how it is. I mean, it's just crazy to see how much they learn in a 24 hour period. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, and it's almost like grow, like I'll wake up, she'll wake up. I'll be like, I swear. I think she's taller today. Like this is is crazy. It's funny you say that because I'll look at her when she, you know, when she's napping, I'll be like, Oh my God, I think she grew two inches. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Um, Well, it, 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 it is staying positive. I think is, is uh, just a necessary requirement um, with, with everything that's going on. But you know, I was, I was thinking about, I was thinking about this the other day. It's like, you know, we're all at home, we're staying at home. Um, you know, just think about how good, good for the environment. This is like less fossil fuels being burnt, you know, yeah. like we're, you know, nobody's driving around, no one's flying. Um, you know, as bad as that is for economies and stuff. I mean, you know, mother Earth's getting kind of a little break right now. Yeah. Yeah. And actually today is earth day. Uh, it's the 50th anniversary of Earth Day, believe it or not. Nice. Happy Earth Day. Yeah, right? Happy Earth Day. So, this yeah, is the... Mother- <laughs> <laughs> um, so, good good uh, opportunity to transition here. Let's, let's talk about uh, the environment and nature and uh-huh. what is... Uh, what is what, what? What's near and dear to... I intentionally do these sort of open-ended questions about this. Um, yep. And I'll I'll let you run with it, but I mean, what are what are some environmental issues that are near and dear to to your heart? Uh, I mean, there, there there's a number of them. Um, yeah, it's probably you know, a loaded for, loaded question. Yeah, for me for me as a as an angler personally, um, I I I'm really passionate about wild places and wild fish in clean ecosystems that that for me and i don't i think that comes from a lot of my time in my childhood and you know my early adolescence just you know steelhead fishing for example you know i mean they live in the most incredible places just the scenery the rivers green lush forests um you know it's just i mean that just kind of that's just personally that for me is just I've always been passionate about that from my time taking cell mounted enhancement classes in school um, to where I am now. I mean, and in, 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 you know, in Belize, for example, I mean, there's so many, so many, you know, projects that we've been involved in um, both personally and, you know, as a company, um, you know, we have our, our slam tournament every year that, you know, for the last, 12, 13 years, we've been given back to, uh, the community. Now, whether that's, um, Oceana locally, whether that's donating a boat to the coast guard for enforcement, you know, um, one of the, one of the things that we've been Belize has worked on, um, and passed into law in 2009 was the protection of bonefish permit and tarpon as a catch and release species. And we were the first country in the world to do that. So that, that's it. That was a huge, a huge win for all the stakeholders here in Belize, um, all the guides, all the, you know, 
all the resort lodge owners, you know, fly fishing industry as a whole, that was a big win-win. Um, our, our big thing right now, um, that, that all the stakeholders have been involved in the last, uh, few years has been, um, trying to get the, the gillnet ban. Uh, so, you know, yeah. we've been, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, it's a big problem here where we are. I mean, Belize is, we, we're just a small country with this great barrier reef right out front. And, you know, we only have 400,000 people in this country, which is just amazing because we're surrounded by, you know, countries with millions and millions and millions of people. You got, a, you got Mexico to the north with 120 million or whatever. You've got Guatemala to the west with four or five million. You've got Honduras to the south, which has got four or five million. I mean, we're just surrounded by these countries with millions and millions and millions of people. And then you've got Belize, it's got 400,000. So, uh, you know, we've just, this gillnet ban is, it's important for me personally, but it's also important for our country. You know, we've, uh, a lot of people have put a lot of work, a lot of time, um, basically just a lot of blood, sweat and tears to, to make this thing a reality and bring it to fruition. And we're really close, you know, the government, uh, the government is on board, you know, got to get it passed through the house and the Senate now. Um, you know, just, and this whole COVID-19 thing just kind of put it on the back burner, I think for now, but I mean, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a huge step in the right direction. Uh, if we can, if this thing gets passed and it's, uh, and it becomes, you know, 100% law and we're not, you know, there's only, I mean, licensed commercial gill netters in Belize, there's not a lot of them. I think there's like 80, it's not a lot. So, you know, we're trying to do the right thing. We, you know, we've donated some money, um, to the cause via the tournament last couple of years. Um, we're just, we're not, we don't want to displace workers. You know, that's right. not our goal. Um, you know, the, the stakeholders want to retrain these people. They want to buy the nets back kind of how they did, I think in Washington and Oregon, um, on the coast. Uh, you know, we just, we just, we just want to do what's right so that, you know, my daughter can still fish for permit, you know, 20 years from now. Right. Just, it's, it's, a, it's, a, you know, Belize has been great about recognizing the, um, economic value of sport fishing and by protecting those three species right now if we can get the gillnet ban into effect and and stop that poaching and stop just you know all that bycatch it's just a win-win situation for everybody it's a win-win for the tourists that come here to fish with us it's a win-win for families that live here um you know you have just have peace of mind that we're you know we're sustaining our fish populations so I mean, that's just a, it's a, the gillnet ban is a, is a huge thing. And we're just so close right now. I can almost taste it. Yeah. So, so what's, what's interesting, um, or one of the things I, I, I should say that I thought of when you were saying, you know, we, we don't, we don't want to, it's not like you're trying to ruin someone's life. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's in the long run, it's better for all, all stakeholders involved if you have a healthy fishery. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I get, I get the, I get how people like, Oh, you're taking my livelihood or, you know, we've been gill netting for, you know, 30 years and, and, you know, I, I get that, but there's, you know, the, the reality is, is we live in different times, you know, fish populations are dwindling all around the world. Um, we consume far too much and, 
you know, we're, I think the big thing here is education and teaching the public like, Hey, listen, we can retrain people. We can buy back the nets. We can make it sustainable so that we can all still eat fish. We can all still go sport fishing, whether it's 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. And, you know, I just, you know, I think, I think if we as a generation are not doing proactive things like trying to do this and we're, you know, you and I are failing our children. Yeah. And that, that's exactly right. And that's the, it's the same thing for, for me, um, that, that, that's what drives me is, yeah. is now having a daughter being like, you know, I, I don't, I want to be able to have these experiences and show her these things. Yeah. Um, and share those experiences together. And there's just some things um, that it's, it's not best for everyone. It's only good. You just, like you said, you have to change with the times. It's like same thing you hear people talking about um, with like burning coal, like burning fossil fuel. It's like, okay, well, we're not trying to rid those people of their livelihoods, but they should be retrained to install solar panels or, yep. you know, get them retrained and keep them in the energy sector, but get them retrained doing different jobs. But it's just the times that we're living in. We can't Absolutely. continue doing the certain things. I, I just, you know, it goes back to that, what I said earlier, just, you know, I just think that, you know, you have an obligation to just do the right thing, yep. you know, no matter what you're doing. Like, I just think you just need to be, um, again, you just got to be a good human. You got to be, everybody's a member of this planet. Everybody, we're all neighbors. I just think that, you know, if you just try to do your part every day, do the right thing and make, make sustainable choices. I mean, everybody benefits. There's no negative from that. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's not rocket science. No, no. Well, you would, you would think as it turns out, you would think that's common sense, but as, as I'm, as unfortunately I'm, I'm, I'm learning common sense is not that common. So <laughs> what, but yeah, you, you know, you, you basically to, to put it crudely, you know, you don't shit where you eat and we're, <laughs> we're, yeah. we're, 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 we're kind of, some people understand that and some people don't. So we're, we're, uh, we're doing what we can, I guess, but, yeah. uh, um, but so, so will y'all have got the, the gillnet band that, um, that, that you just mm -hmm. talked about, are, are there any, um, what other issues or are there any other issues that are, that Belize is facing that, um, you know, one of the, one of the big ones, and I think, you know, this is all around the world, especially when you have a, an, an economy that's, you know, basically, I think 50% of our GDP now is revolves around tourism. So, um, I mean, sport fishing alone, I think the echo is one of the biggest, you know, economic drivers in the country. I think, I think sport fishing is 150 to 200 million a year. I mean, it's wow. literally thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs, be it from you're a guide to a front desk clerk at a fishing lodge to you're a boat captain transferring guests back and forth to turn F, whatever it is. I mean, it's, it's a huge, you know, economic driver, but, um, you know, with that, with an economy that's, you know, based largely on tourism becomes overdevelopment, you know, yeah. and, you know, I want to build more hotels. I want to build more condos. I need, you know, um, I think, 
you know, there's no way to get around that. I think, again, it goes back to, you know, we just need to be more sustainable. I think that, you know, cutting down all the mangroves is not the right thing to do. You know, no. you go, you know, let's build a hotel. Let's cut down all the mangroves on the beach, dredge the flat and, you know, um, have a nice white sandy beach. I think there's just better ways to do it. You know, we've, uh, if you've been looking in the news in Belize lately, there's a, a great permit flat off Kyle Rosario that, um, uh, some investors own, uh, from North America and, uh, they've applied for, to put a big resort on it and sewage lines and all this, this stuff. And, uh, they're just, you know, and they basically dug up the flat part of the flat and there was a stop order issued because that wasn't what they were supposed to do. Um, but it's already been irreversible damage already, but, um, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, we need to stop as a community, um, as a sport fishing community. Uh, and we did, um, we're going to see what happens in the future. I don't know what's going on with it right now. I'm not back up in San Pedro. So, um, but yeah, I mean the overdevelopment right now, whether it's in Belize or some other tourism driven economy, I mean, that's, it's just a huge thing. We just, you know, and just habitat, habitat, um, degradation is what comes with that. Right. You know, let's, uh, dredge more sand, cut more mangroves. And, you know, as you know, mangroves are, you know, just beautiful plants. <laughs> I mean, right. They just, yeah. I, they just, you know, they take CO2 out of the air. You know, it's just, it's just, they're, they're, uh, they're in this, this, this ecosystem down here, they're absolutely crucial. And I just feel like we're losing them right now. So, so one of the things that, that you mentioned, um, is so storing carbon, um, yep. it's like seagrasses, tidal marshes, and mangroves are like kind of the, the big three. And that's when you, they're calling it blue carbon basically. And these, um, are integral parts of ecosystems. They keep eco like, so to, to make this, I guess, relatable to, to Charleston, for example, uh, Mm -hmm. where I live, we have a a tidal marshes, right? So we have an average tidal swing and, of, of, uh, five feet on full full moons, new moons, they they swell to six feet. You know, flood tide for for redfish, and mm-hmm. so, anyways, <laughs> I, I spend a lot of time in in the marsh. I grew up in this area, um, two hours south of here in Savannah, and um, it's one of those things that you look, <clears throat> you can look out, and it seems endless that you have all these tidal marshes and uh, the spartine, the green spartina grass and pluff yep. mud, but they're actually um, tidal marshes, I'm looking at this website, um, called the blue carbon initiative. Um, I've heard of that. Yes. Yeah. And so they've got some cool stats on here and like, so tidal marshes it's saying, um, they're being lost at a rate of one to 2% per year. And they, uh, and, um, they've already lost 50% of their historical global co- coverages. Um, uh-huh. you know, seagrass, um, you know, which, I, I, I go to the Everglades every year and fish with some friends and you see yeah. all that, all the seagrass there. Well, that's also absorbing a lot of carbon and that's also being yeah. lost at similar rates. And, and the thing is, is with those, with those ecosystems like turtle grass and mangroves, I mean, they're huge filter systems, 
you know, yeah. everybody always, you know, I hear it all the time in Belize, you know, especially when I'm on the permit flats, everybody's like, the water here is so clear. And I'm like, that's exactly it because we have all these mangroves and all this turtle grass that filters out all that sediment, yeah. you know? And if, as, if you start to take those things away, if you start to take that turtle grass away, those big turtle grass beds and those mangrove systems, you know, all that sediment does not get filtered anymore. It ends up on the reef, suffocates it. So now you've got, you know, all that sediment and silt that's coming out of the rivers, that's coming out, you know, off the beaches because of wave refraction, whatever it is, you know, um, you know, you just, it goes right to the reef, it eventually makes its way to the reef, uh, which is a no bueno situation, you know, and the other thing, you know, like, as you, 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 you know, is true. I mean, turtle grass and mangroves, I mean, to regrow those is a very long process. Right. I mean, it, 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 it takes years and years and years to regrow mangroves. And know if you've got like a stack of mangroves on the beach that are, you know, six to 10 feet high, you know, I mean, that thing has been there for a long, long time. And for you to go and cut it down, and if you were to replant it the next day, I mean, it would take, you know, 50 to 100 years for it to get back to where it was. You know, uh, it's just, it, it, you know, it's just see, see, seeing somebody dredge a turtle grass flat just makes me sick. <laughs> yeah. It, well, the, I, 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 th I think one of the things that I, I hope that everyone is kind of coming around to is understanding the and you don't even have to put a dollar value on it, but is, you know, mother nature in and of itself knows what it's doing. If you let it do <laughs> right. If you let it do its thing. And so, you know, as worldwide population grows and places, you know, uh, get more popular, like, like Belize, the next question is, okay, if we have to, um, we have to address, you know, the, the elephant in the room, which is, you know, there's a lot of people on the planet. So what are we going to do? Well, I think then that's when you start having like, and I think what might actually be an opportunity in Belize is to start looking at, okay, well, what, what would a sustainable development model look like? And, yeah. and how does that affect the, the communities? Um, and, 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 and by effect, I mean, you know, positively affect, um, so that there are jobs created so that there are, um, their, their, uh, culture is maintained because, you know, I think the last thing any of us want, um, particularly if you've been fortunate to, to travel a little bit is for every, like, you see it in America a lot, you know, with strip malls and everything else where it's just like, mm -hmm. I, I, I could be in Wyoming or South Carolina and wouldn't know the difference if I'm looking at a strip mall. You know, yeah, you, you're, exactly. lo you're losing your, your cultural identity. And that's, it's, it's, that's important. It's, it's that cookie cutter model. And, you know, as, as population increases, the more pressure on the environment, I just think now more than ever, you know, um, all there's initiatives everywhere, whether, you know, it's a bonefish tarp and trust thing. It's an Oceana thing. We have all these ways as, you know, citizens of the earth to, you know, do great things. And I, I just, it just keeps coming back down to just, it's, you know, just 
just do the right thing, you know, do the right thing for, you know, your neighbor and do the right thing for your family. And, you know, I just think we just have that part to be more sustainable. And as you know, we keep going along and populations are growing, you know, the pressure gets more and more and more and more and resources get less and less and less and less. And, you know, now more than ever, there's, like I said, a lot of initiatives that are, you know, trying to do the right thing, which I mean, at no other time in, in history, have we, have we been at this, this juncture? I mean, there's more nonprofits, more people trying to do good things, which I think is just a great positive, you know, and yeah. it's just trying to swing, swing that balance back in, back in uh, the, the, the right way. So, all right. So we have, <laughs> we've talked about some, some, some environmental deg- degradation and, and, and things of that nature, but um, let's talk about, uh, you're talking about, you know, the swinging back, doing good, doing the right thing. Um, yep. Do you have any success stories or or, or anything that would um, that's positive and, and inspirational that, that you'd care to share on that front? Yeah, I mean, we've, you know, Belize is, is trying to do uh, the right thing. You know, there's, you know, we, we, we ban the, 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 you know, capture and killing of bonefish tarpon and and permit so you know catch and release only back in 2009 which is great now, hopefully the you know in the next uh, little bit we can we can get that gill net ban which is just a, i mean it's a huge 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 win um might be one of the biggest ones ever for for the country as a whole yeah. um the government the government uh put into law banning single-use plastics really which uh, yeah so i think it's by I think it might be by, I don't know if it was Jan, I don't think it was January this year. I think by January next year, all single use, like styrofoam containers, plastic bags. Um, you, I see more and more restaurants and bars now are going to biodegradable straws or like reusable straws or no straws at all. Um, like, you know, usually back in the old days, you go order gin and tonic at the bar and they give you like two of those little plastic straws. Now I notice some places they just, they'll, they'll give you, uh, the drink, but they'll stir it for you before they give it to you, you know, right. um, which is, which is huge, but there's still some other places that are still using single use straws, which is crazy. I, you know, and I, I read some astonishing facts somewhere. I forget where it was, but I think it's in, I don't know if it's in the U S or North America as a whole, but I heard something like 500 million plastic straws per day. I think I've seen that stat. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. I mean, I, I just like I, I, when I first read that stat, I was like, "That's wrong." There's no way. And then you think about it, and you're like, "Actually, it's probably right." <laughs> yeah. Like, again, and uh, but it's great. And then, you, but I read that stat, and then I think I read a little bit later that Seattle um, was, I think the first city in the U S to ban the use of single use or single use uh, straws. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's starting to happen. We did it in Charleston bags and, uh, straws and, um, a a lot of the, the beach communities here because they're, they're their own like cities or towns. You know, they're the ones who are, who are making, the economic case for it. Cause they're going, look, I mean, people tour it's similar to Belize. They mm-hmm. get like Folly beach here on, on Charleston. I mean, they, they would die without tourism. 
Like yep. they're, they're, the economy there is tourism. And so they're going, well, look, you know, our people come here to see a pristine beach and experience the low country. And they don't want to walk down the beach and have plastic straws sticking out of the sand and plastic bags rolling down the beach. And then they're going to go into the ocean and, you know, they can kill animals. Like it's just not good business. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously not good for the environment. So I think that that is continuing to hopefully steamroll um, because I'm sure, I'm sure you have seen uh, in all your, your sailing and everything else, you you've probably seen more than most, how much plastic is out there. Oh, man, just miles and miles of it and mats of it. And I mean, I, I see, you know, I, I, you know, you see it in here all, you know, you see plastic washed up on the beaches with every tide. I mean, it's just, it's a huge problem for the global community. And, you know, so the single use plastic ban um, is coming into effect in Belize, which is, a, which is just a great thing. The, uh, you know, the gillnet, big, big deal. And that, I mean, it's two, two things right there is just yep. in the last, in the last, uh, you know, the last year has just been kind of our, our focus. I mean, that we're, we're, uh, we're plastic free here at, uh, the permit club. We've, you know, um, the whole crew at Yeti's got us all hooked up with water bottles and coffee mugs and, and, uh, that stuff. And we, we've got the reusable five gallon water and I just installed a water system down in the bar. So, um, you know, fresh, cold water out of the tap there now. Nice. Uh, yeah, I just, uh, you know, I, next thing is going to be, uh, going to, uh, to solar, at least, at least part of the, part of the lodge anyway. Um, I would love to get all the air conditioners on solar. So that's kind of like, uh, you know, we have very expensive electricity here in the Caribbean. Um, I think in Belize right now, we're paying 47 cents a kilowatt hour. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah, it yeah. is. And, and, and not so reliable you know, just all of a sudden it'll just go out. <laughs> so um, that's, that's kind of it right now is to hopefully move to more, more sustainable, um, energy solar. Yeah, no, that, that, that's, um, I had done some work for, for Oliver over at Abaco Lodge and that was, um, was he, was he 100% solar or has he still got a little bit of diesel generation? Well, at Abaco, they were, I mean, when it was still up and running, basically, um, they were still diesel. And that, like, was just mind-blowing to me. How, you know, it's just like, this is, if there's ever been a a business case for solar, it's the Caribbean. Like, I mean, it's just energy is so expensive. The thing, the thing. The thing, the thing with that is too, is like, you know, I I've looked into it here. Um, and it's just, it's the government doesn't really give you any kind of benefit and you can't sell any power back to the grid. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. It's just like, they don't really, they should make it, you know, should give you a break on tax. They should give you a break on, you know, import duties to bring the stuff in. Um, and it's not really that way yet, um, which is kind of sad. But, uh, you know, uh, I know that uh, Turn F just installed a massive, it might be one of the larger ones in the Caribbean, a massive uh, solar system um, out at Turn F Atoll. Uh, yeah. That was, a, that was a big, big, big deal. Um, but, I mean, that was, uh, I don't even know. I mean, it's 
that, that was a million dollar project for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can get, it, it can get pricey, especially without government incentives. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's the, that's, you know, that's, that's most people's barrier, you know, it's just the, all right, well, I need to be able to afford it. I mean, it's a guaranteed payback, but you got to have the, the capital you have up front. Capital. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, but I think what's important that what you're talking about with, with your lodge is something that I talk about with all of my, my, my clients and, and people that I, that I, that I interview on this podcast is it's, Hey, look, you know, you, it, it's like, it's like being a person, right. And mm-hmm. you're trying to be the best version of yourself. And so you're doing, you're taking the right steps. It's not a flip the switch hey, we're sustainable solution. It's a journey and you take those steps and 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 there, I, yeah. I, I commend you for that, you know? And I mean, that's what a lot of people, I think they, they get wrapped around the axle when they're like, okay, well, if we're going to do this sustainability thing, like we're going to be like all in and next year, we're going to be able to say that we're this or that. And it's like, well, that's not really, that's not how it works. <laughs> you know, I mean, no, you, no. You, you have to do what you can with what you have and feel good about that. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, taking any step that's, that's a positive yep. one. Um, and so I, I think that's an important message for if, if there happen to be other lodge owners or anything like that listening is just, just do the right thing to, to Will's point. And then you can over time when it makes sense, then yeah. Okay, cool. Well, you know, in five years there, there might be some big government incentive, you know, and it's like, okay, yep. cool. Well, let's do solar. Yeah. We, I mean, we've always, you know, here at the, our, I mean, the business model for the the permit club has always just been uh, just a small carbon put or footprint. Yeah. You know, like we, we run three boats, we take six anglers, that's it. We don't take eight, we don't take 10, we don't take 12. Um, I will never expand to that. Uh, you know, we run three outboard motors, we have a pickup truck and we have a couple air conditioners. That's, that's our carbon footprint. That's it. Um, you know, we don't, I, I just, it was always what I wanted. I always knew that, you know, we're a permit, uh, permit specific lodge. So, yeah. you know, we're for the hardcore permit angler. Uh, and it was just, I always knew I just wanted small groups and, you know, I wanted that experience no matter if you were fishing with uh, myself or Mike, you know, you'd have the same kind of fishing experience. There was, it was just, <clears throat> that was just it. And I, it was important for me as a business owner to, to keep it like that. And we're, we're still like that. And I'm, I'm proud that we're like that. You know, I'm, I'm super proud of my employees and I'm super proud of, you know, the footprint that we've managed to, create and keep right now. And, uh, you know, we're, we've been, uh, really lucky to have some of, uh, the best clients out there and, uh, that support us and, uh, allow us to do what we do and, uh, you know, super blessed. That's awesome. Yeah, man. I just thank, I, I appreciate the opportunity and, and, uh, you know, keep fighting the fight, keep doing great things. Yeah, I, 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 I appreciate it. Um, and really appreciate your time and, and everything that you're doing. Um, one of the things that, that you mentioned that could be kind of a cool story, you could look into for your carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. Um, if you calculate that, then if you know what it is, uh, you could also like, I'm, I plant 
10 trees, for example, for every new client. So there's this organization called OneTreePlanted.org. They're a nonprofit and they also plant mangroves. So that could be kind of a cool story and way to say, like, for me, it's saying I like, I, I calculated my footprint. My business is carbon neutral. And now I'm going to be able to say, okay, well, I'm actually carbon negative because I'm planting trees. So I'm, I'm giving back more than I take basically. Um, I mean, I would, I, that, that's a great idea, man. And I've never, <clears throat> honestly, I've never thought about that. I mean, we've planted mangroves and stuff up in San Pedro and, and but I've never thought about it as a, as a client thing. Like, yeah, we right now, <clears throat> another thing too, is like, you know, we've been, uh, you know, given our, our lodge matching program through the yellow dog community conservation fund has been another thing that we've been doing too. So, you know, like every time, every, every time somebody does, a, a books a trip with us, our lodge, um, we don't, we donate, uh, I think it's a hundred dollars, you know, we do 50 and, um, you know, the community conservation fund matches that. So it's a hundred dollars per client. And then that just goes right back into fisheries. We all care about, I mean, it's just, it's, and I don't, I'd, I'd have to look at the numbers, but we've been doing that for a few years now. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's nice to, you know, talk about something that's, uh, close to my heart and something that, you know, I'm really passionate about and, uh, you know, continue to be every day. It's, uh, you know, and I love the fly fishing industry as a whole. It, you know, we usually all come together over these, uh, critical decisions, whether that's Smith river, pebble mine, you know, bonefish tarpon trust, you know, spawning sites. And, you know, it's just, we're all this interconnected, interconnected community. And I think, you know, fly fishing as a whole, we just rally around things like this. It's just nice to be able to talk about sometimes. Thanks for tuning in to the Sustainable Angler and special thanks to Will Fleck for joining me on the show. Um, You can find uh, any current and past episodes of the Sustainable Angler podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks for tuning in.